Welcome to the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. I'm your host, Amanda Busick. Our podcast aims to introduce you to the inspirational women who showcase their talents and leaderships across the automotive and motorsports worlds. And even when I have my own moments of doubt and uncertainty, it is with this community of women that I'm reminded of what is possible. Thank you all for sharing in this space of authenticity with us. Here we go. Mia Walsh is the National Driver Education Chair for the Porsche Club of America, the first woman to ever hold the position, but it was her first interaction with the Porsche at 16 years old that would spark an everlasting love for the brand she carries with her today. Joining the PCA in 2008 with her husband, Brian, Mia would spend the next five years growing through the ranks of run groups, reaching the Potomac area's highest level, the Advanced Red Group, in 2013. That same year, she would become a nationally recognized HPDE instructor. And in 2015, Mia entered into her first race at Summit Point and earned two podiums in her inaugural race weekend. But what does racing and bird photography have in common? Mia Walsh joins us on the Women Shifting Gears podcast, driven by Hemmings. Welcome to your weekly Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. This week's guest is Mia Walsh. She is the National Driver Education Chair for the Porsche Club of America. And Mia, I know it was a, it's been a journey into that role and we want to get there eventually, but I want to start with the beginning for you. How did automotive or motorsports reach your life? Well, I actually started in college doing a lot of off-road driving and I went to college in Vermont My school had about a 40-acre campus of off-road, and I had two off-road, not street legal, one street legal, one not, that I would just use for off-road driving. And it was a really great place to go to college, and there were water holes and and quarries where we could swim, but you could only access it if you had a four-wheel drive. So I was very popular in college because my cars could get people to the fun places, Later in life, not that much later, but my husband participated in a one-day event at the track, and he said, you know what, honey, you'd really like the circuit. So the first time thereafter where there was a one-day clinic, I attended, and it was with the Porsche Club, the Potomac region, and I absolutely fell in love with it. We had a 07 came in at the time. It was pretty brand new to us. This was in 2008, so it wasn't that long long ago. And I absolutely fell in love and signed up for the first uh, driving, high-performance driving event that I could get into right after that. And some of our, I know some of our listeners will know, but uh, just kind of engaging people that might not know, what is it, what do track days mean? So within the Porsche Club, we have clinics, which are high-performance driving clinics. Those are usually a one-day event, and it's a mixture of classroom training and on-track training, more about first learning about the balancing of your car, learning about your braking and threshold braking, trying to get your car into oversteer and understeer, and finding your way around your car so you become a better driver. You can feel things that are going wrong, perhaps on the street and then learning how to correct them. In many regions then, between these driving exercises in the morning and the classroom exercises in the morning, that you then go into an afternoon of circuit driving with an instructor in your car, learning about 
apex, entry, exit, learning about when when to break, when to bleed off the brakes, what your throttle should be. And so a one-day clinic will then get you a little bit hooked of being on the track and, and feeling your progression then goes into driving high-performance driving events, which could be a two-day or a three-day at a track. Novice drivers will have an instructor with him or her throughout the weekend, helping them learn the track, helping them progress their speed, making their breaking points a little deeper, learning the line as best as possible, and then playing with all the traffic that's around you. You know, what being aware situationally of what's behind you and what's coming up and getting that track experience as a whole. So that's high performance driving or also called driver's education in the PCA world. Moving from there, you can go into actual competition. And the competition piece is what we call PCA club racing. You do have to um, go through a testing process, a licensing process to be able to club race. There are many, many, many modifications that you would need to make to your car to be club racing ready. And those would include, you know, cages and, and different restraint systems and you know, depending on the class of the car that you are using. But that's a fully competitive environment where the driver's education or performance driving is really a learning environment. You're not supposed to keep track of your time. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure people do just to see their improvements, but it's, it's a non-competitive event. And going back to, I think there's a, a lack of um, awareness just in, a, in, in myself when I got involved in this as well, that you can go to a racetrack and you can learn things in cars on racetracks. And it's actually more accessible than I think people understand or realize. And going back to kind of that one day track day, or even when you first started, would you say that the on-track experience can also make you a better driver? There is 100% certainty that that is the case. And often when I'm leading a classroom or I'm in a driver's meeting as one of the lead females in the room, I always ask when we have a combination of novice drivers and experienced drivers, I just do a raise your hand. Raise your hand if the skills that you've learned in our skid pad exercises, in our braking exercises, have saved you from an incident on the roads, 99%. I mean, it, it, honestly, if I were being honest, it's probably 100%. Everything that you learn on your vehicle dynamics and your awareness and being able to feel and see what's around you, 100% makes you a better driver on the street. I have done that skid pad exercise and going into it, it is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's terrifying. I think it's fun. Yeah, I, now, I mean, but it's one of the things, like you said, it's a growing, um, but the idea, I think sometimes, I don't say as women, we are kind of more cautious on putting ourselves in situations that make us uncomfortable. And what I love about these track days and these exercises, like it actually is the opposite, right? It gives you confidence and it gives you the ability to apply it into your daily life. 
I, I had my college roommate as a student. She came for our women our women's only driving event in the fall. And I got her on the skid pad and I got her in her first spin. And she was kind of laughing and screaming at the same time. And I was like, you always remember your first spin. But the beauty of this, especially on a skid pad, it's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to feel your car getting out of control and then learn slowly by slowly how you can modulate the throttle and work with your hands to not let that happen. And so by the end of the day, she was doing full slides and (laughs) one of the um, photographers had taken a picture of us. And when I tell you our smiles (laughs) here that he could see through the windshield, you know, that that's what it's all about, honestly. And just to add some visual context here for our listeners, the skid pad is to purposely to purposely put the car into a spin and learn control over it. So that's what you're doing. It's uh, you're purposely getting your car uh, out from control. So it's a wet track. So it's a wet circular track and they keep it wet to ensure that the traction isn't as tight as it should be like on a dry on a dry track. It's super fun. It sounds fun. (laughs) I want to go back to, were there any indications earlier in your life or in childhood that you thought that uh, racing would be an influence or that cars would have such an impact on your life? I came from a very middle-class American family where we did not have any foreign cars in our house. And that was absolutely forbidden. But I remember when I was 15, and there was a beautiful lemon yellow 914, which is, you know, one of an original looking Porsche driving through the neighborhood and it had a for sale sign. And I remember riding my bike and I wrote the phone number down on my skin <laughs> and I called the person up and, you know, I pretended and I said, um, I'm turning 16 and my parents are going to buy me a car for my 16th birthday. And I'd like to take your car out for, you know, a test drive. So I literally rode my bike there. I get in. It's a stick shift. First of all, I have my learner's permit and I, you know, learned on a, you know, Ford Crown Vic or something like that in my house. So the guy drove me around in this 914 and, you know, I finally had to tell him, oh, yeah, they, my parents didn't think that this was the car that I should get for my first car. But I, I will never forget my first drive in that. And I've always loved the brand since then. But I was, you know, in my 40s before I could I got could get one for my own. And now I'm hooked in every way, shape and form. <laughs> I love what like a foreshadowing moment in your life, though, that you still draw from. That's amazing. And then, that, and then I did learn how to drive stick pretty much immediately thereafter. Because both of my off-road cars were stick shifts when I got to college. So <laughs> you begin your performance driving in 2013. How did the path within Porsche start? So I actually started instructing in 2013. I started performance driving in 2008. So the pathway for me, as I said, I did this one day clinic, was hooked, and then started going through the process. And the really wonderful thing about Porsche Club and all of its regions is we separate the run groups depending on the skill set of a particular person. So the nervousness of, oh my gosh, I've never been on track before, and I'm going to be with these people that have been racing for 10 years, is it's not the scenario. Many regions have five different run groups. So in a five run group region, 
The first two are fully instructed. So you might have zero to 20 days on track in the first group. It really depends on your skill set and how well you advance. The second run group could be 20 to 45 or 50 days. So you've got a couple of years where you've got an instructor in the car with you. Wow. All of our instructors are volunteers. They go through a rigorous training course, um, which is something that is now falling under me for the for North America, which I'm super excited about. So after those first two run groups, then you get to be a solo driver. Then three levels of solo drivers, you know, a newbie solo driver who gets a little bit better, a little bit faster, but you still have a ton to learn. I mean, I've been doing it for 15 years and I'm learning something new every day. Then you've got two advanced levels of driving as well. And some regions separate them depending on the horsepower of your car. Not all regions do that. It's more of a skill development between the top two highest run groups. So your question is, how was my progression? You know, I did spend a year probably in each one of those lower run groups. If I started driving in 2008. By the time I was instructing, which was in 2013, I had advanced all the way up to the the highest level of performance driving. So I can't remember how long I had been in the highest one before I decided to instruct. It was a decision that you have to think about because you are getting in the right-hand seat of someone who you may or may not know their driving capabilities. Uh, I'm a mother of two, so that was always a decision-making. And at a point where I was reaching the higher level of performance driving, pretty early on in that advanced area, my husband and I said we would never get into a car together at the same time. Um, just in case, you know, we we are always on the track at the same time. And actually, he is a racer as well. He began racing a few years before I did. We are racing on the track at the same time in different classes. Cool. So, you know, the kids are like, Mom, who won? I go, well, hey, your dad's car is faster. So <laughs> I'm sure he's a little faster, but we're not competing specifically and our classes are different class cars. It's it was a great progression and let me tell you the wonderful instructors that I've had along the way, the support in the paddock. I am very very fortunate that my region that is my home region, Potomac, the Founders region is a DC, Northern Virginia, Maryland, West Virginia base is pretty well de- demographically diverse. Um, we have a huge amount of women in the paddock with us, right, uh, in the cars, performance driving. We have all age groups. We are culturally diverse. Uh, we really have a very, very inclusive environment. So I am really lucky that that is the scenario that I was able to develop my skills in. And there are some of my best friends now. I mean, the list is long of my PCA friends from driving really long. I do want to get to the community of the paddock and how that, what that is meant to your life and things like that. But I want to go, how well do you remember your first race? (laughs) I remember my first first race very, very well. I was very nervous. I watched and volunteered in our club race program for probably, I don't know, let's say 
seven or eight years, I was working at every club race uh, event that my region held. So I had been around it a lot. And as I mentioned, there are only a handful of women racers in this competitive racing environment. And I remember just going through tech inspection where they have to look at my car for the first time. And I, li- I was shaking. <laughs> and, the, and the steward was like, what, what, what are you so nervous about? I'm like, I don't know. I, just, you know, I was just really super nervous. And to look at your shoes, you know, to make sure your shoes are, are approved and all your clothing is approved. And I was very, very nervous. So he tried to talk me down. And that wasn't even getting in the car. That was like before I was even in the grid. <laughs> My first race, I will never, ever forget. We have a famous pro racer in our region whose name's Michael, Michael Levitus. He won the Daytona 24. He owns a shop called TPC Racing. Great guy. Great, great guy. And I'm sitting on, on the grid waiting to go out and had um, done my laps to get where my placement was for my first race. And I think it was like a six minute countdown and I'm all strapped in, you know, I've got everything, my balaclava, the helmet, the gloves, you know, (laughs) got my little fan on in the car. And I see out of the corner of my eye, Mike Levitas running in the middle of the grid down towards my car like, what the hell? I'm like, what's he going? And they're, they're waving him off. You know, it's five minutes before we're going out and they're starting the countdown, like three minutes, two minutes. Mike comes up and he comes over to squats down and looks at my window and he's like, you got this. You're, you're going to do great out there. (laughs) And um, it was, I will never forget that because it really gave me the confidence um, that I needed to just go out there and drive and be safe. And, you know, I did podium and I got rookie, wow. rookie award that, that race. I won't talk about my, my spin but <laughs> on the, on the outlap of one of the, not the, the actual races, but a warm up race. I'm like, Oh my God, this is how it's going to go. But, um, yeah, I ended up getting a third place podium and and the rookie of the weekend award. So it was honestly, if I have to say, it was probably one of the most exciting, proudest moments of my life. If I have my dates right this time, I that this was around 2015. That is correct. So now that you look back at starting competition then and where you are now, it, I'm assuming it's like looking back at old tape at yourself, you don't want to do it. So how, how have you grown as a race car driver since then? Whew. I worked so hard to get there and I really did. I do it for fun. I'm, you know, I'm not one of the people that's traveling around the country participating in all of the races. It's just fun for me. So I've grown in as much as I got over that fear or the anxiety, or it was a mountain that I wanted to climb. And so I climbed it. So now I just go out there for, you know, grins and smiles. 
I've had some car issues the last couple of years and with COVID, so I haven't had a podium in a while, but um, I think I have three or four and I'm going to take them to my grave. Um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I will again, but here's my issue. I love my car. I am driving still an 09 manual car and in my class, uh, the car besides me perhaps being a little, you know, I'm not out there every every weekend racing, but my car is getting out of the competitive genre of cars because I'm competing with people aren't using manuals anymore. And they, they say it could be in as much as a second a lap. And yeah, that's, a lot. You know, that's, that's a lot to make up when you're out there for 30, 45 minutes or an hour. But, you know, I can't give it up because I love the manual, you know, save the manual. Uh, I guess if I were, you know, that was my goal to see how many races I could win. I would, I would probably move on to a new car, but for me, that's just the fun part. I love the driver's education because th that's my opportunity to give back. You can't run an event without instructors and seeing the, a new novice driver on the track after the first day and then seeing them the second day and watching their progress and then them realizing their progress from day one to day two. I mean, that's that's what it is for me now. It's kind of giving back to the club to give other people the opportunity to have those great experiences that I have and continue to have. In your role at the Porsche Club of America, you were the first female to hold that position. How did you find out about the gig? <laughs> well, tell you what. So I had just finished two very, very difficult years as president of the largest region in the country during COVID. And we, I'm going to say the word ass, but we worked our asses off for those two years to try to provide activities that we could do for our members, as well as, you know, there we had a lot of contractual obligations. Um, my region runs about 10 track events a year. We contract them out a solid year in advance. And so there was hundreds of thousands of dollars of commitments that were on the table. So besides the fiscal responsibility, and of course, the well, the health and safety of my members. I feel like I'm the mama goose with the baby ducklings and the, I mean, the baby geese running behind me. But, you know, I'm I'm responsible for all these people. So how do I ensure that they have fun in their cars um, have competition in their cars, but being safe? So that all being said, I was really looking forward to a year off. <laughs> Person who succeeded me as president is a badass female. Absolutely adore her ex-motorcycle racer. She does all the performance driving events. She's a quarter horse lasso person. I don't know exactly what her com competition is. So I was really ready to hand it off to a very competent person who I could kind of sit back. So here comes December, the start of, of my new year of being the past president. And I get a call from National saying, hey, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing on January 1? It really, it was out of the blue, in my opinion, for me. But I think that they realized that I am a, I feel like a very good leader. 
and a very good representative of the Porsche Club. And I have a positive attitude and I've been very successful in my competitive driving and my instructing and, and driver's education. So for whatever reason, they pulled me out of a pulled me out of a hat and I said yes. So here I am three and a half months in. Actually, um yeah, about three and a half months in. I feel like I've been doing it forever. <laughs> well I think it was for a very good reason that they pulled you into the position based on your history with Porsche. And uh, now in that role and as mentioned, uh, the first female, how are any um not to say I don't want to say that that sometimes women can get odd looks at the position that they're in, but when you get to introduce yourself as that role, what's the feedback like? Well, I didn't know any of the people that were reporting to me. And so the they had no idea who I was when they the announcement came out because I hadn't been involved at the national level in this arena. So I'm very sure they were skeptical of who was coming in and why was this person chosen. So we had our first in-person meeting in Minnesota in February. I didn't pick it. It was picked before <laughs> me. Uh, although it was actually turned out to be, it was cold, very cold, but you know, a really good location. I really enjoyed it there. But I felt that nervousness that I felt when I was going on to my first race, walking into this room with mostly all men, mostly my age or older, and who collectively had about 300 years of experience in PCA driver's education. So the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, we were all feeling each other out. But let me tell you, we walked away three days later, full days of meetings and hugs all around and, you know, best meeting ever and all of that. So once I had the confidence that they gave me, uh, I do rely on them a lot for historical knowledge and some technical things that uh, I don't have as much background as they do on because uh, another part of my role is defining what the minimum safety standards are that regions have to abide by to hold a driver's ed event through PCA. So that's a somewhat sometimes controversial part of the job, but the team that I have are very supportive and they are one of the reasons that I feel like when I walk into a room, I I walk in with 100% confidence. And plus, I actually have a really good fashion person at uh, Alice and Olivia in Georgetown. And I'm like, I, I, I need to I need to wow them when I walk in the room. <laughs> you know, I do feel, you know, dressed properly. You can do anything. I came historically from an all-girls Catholic high school. <laughs> um, and I taught there for a very, very long time when I recently retired, not that long ago. I'm still there a couple of days a week, though. And I've been empowered by women my whole life. So I never really feel the the man-woman thing because I feel like if you have the confidence, then you'll get the respect that you need. And I feel like that has worked for me over the years. Being empowered by women, have you thought about 
the idea that you were now empowering women. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was goal one. And I started that, you know, when I was president of the Potomac region, you know, how do we get more women out here? And so I had always had a very strong community of women in our region. And so whenever there would be a novice woman driver, we all made very sure that we embraced her in the paddock. We helped her along the way because there's like little stupid little things like where do you, what hotel do you stay at when you go to the racetrack? Like, what do you, where do you paddock and can you park anywhere? Just all these little questions if you don't have someone to guide you through and then showing them, look, we've got 15 women instructors here. So this could be your path at some point, once you feel confident on the track and you show your skill sets developing, if you're a good communicator, which is a very, you know, probably the most important thing to be an instructor, you have to be able to communicate and ahead of what's going to be happening at a very, very fast paced environment. So once you've got your driving skills down together, you've got your, you know, the track line, you know, you know, the best entry and exit speeds, and you know, you're braking, and you know, you've progressed yourself as a driver, then being able to give back to the novice drivers out there is, is very, very fulfilling. So there's a big female bond in the paddock. Big time. I think I want to go, since we mentioned that we were going to talk about the community of racing uh, earlier in the podcast, going back to the the relationships within the paddock, um, I always love seeing how friendships and sometimes even business relationships are made between competitors on track just from the lifestyle and the, the friendliness of the paddock. How has that you know, I think within a competition standpoint, people think of the competitive that happens on track, but a lot of times in the paddocks within drivers, they become, you know, off track friends and relationships that extend, whether on the business side or personal side, and just that lifestyle, how um, meaningful that is to you. That's a great question because many of these events are two and three days. So depending on the track, you can get a camper and a lot of people will sleep in their trailers or they'll get campers. But what happens when the track goes cold at 5.30 is the competition's over. Now we get to go have fun and meet other people and, you know, have a beer with them and talk about, you know, the great things that happened that day. You mentioned business versus personal I really, there are a million people out there. I don't know what they do for business because the business function doesn't, that discussion doesn't come up as much as cars and families and they've got spectators out them. They've got their grandchildren or they've got their, you know, adult children coming to watch. So there's not a lot of talk in my world about the the business aspect. I will give one Funny example, though, I am in D.C. is a main portion of our drivers are from the D.C. area. Well, I love hearing the stories where two people are walking through the paddock 
<laughs> and they recognize each other, but they're all t- they've all got top secret clearance. <laughs> talk about what they do. And maybe that's why, honestly, Amanda, maybe that's why we don't talk business because we have all the CIA and the FBI and the NSA. Like that's that personality type are a lot of the kind of personality types that we might see at the track. So maybe that's why in my world, we don't talk about it a lot because they're not allowed to talk about what they do or they'd have to kill us if, if they told us. <laughs> you know, in a weird way, because I even see it uh, in drivers that I cover, like sometimes, strangely, racing as high intensity and, and just the high performance side of it, it's almost an escape for people. It is an escape for people. And my husband in particular, when he was invited, went, you know, a decade plus two, two decades ago to come out to the track, he commuted from Baltimore down to D.C. every day, which is almost as bad as L.A., you know, pretty bad traffic. And he remembers saying to this guy, why in the world would I want to get back into a car on a weekend where I spend my whole life driving two hours each way to work? Like, I'm not interested at all. But then he did that one day and he's like, wow, this is a great way to blow off all my stress. And it really is. I mean, when you are on the track and you're in the paddock, you can't think about work. You you, you are in a whole different like Disneyland of, poor, you know, Porsche cars and, and race cars. You really, it is an escape. You are 100% right on that. So you and your husband, you're in the same car. No, same horse. No, no, no. I, this is hypothetical. Okay. Same car, same horsepower, same setup, same track, same time of day. Who's winning? He's got me. Uh, we, I do let him drive my car every once in a while if I'm working on a setup. And I, I'm within a second a lap, which, you know, he's, He's like this magical god of driving. And so I'm going to give him that. He's he's definitely winning 100% of the time. <laughs> You're also the mom of two daughters. Have they taken to the hobby that you and your husband share? They have not. Um, they I did bring them to a teen defensive driving course. Sure. Didn't go over as well as I thought it was going to. I think I took them out too early. The minute they had their learner's permit, I'm like, you got to come out and do this. You know, the, you put yourself in some pretty precarious situations that are controlled. But as a 15 year old who's been behind the wheel for a month or two, it's probably not the best route. Um, they will come out if they have to, <laughs> um, they will come out to Virginia International Raceway, which is kind of like a country club. Sure. Uh, but no, I started really most of my early driving was when they were little, little. And that was a way for me actually to get away from being a full-time mom at that time. So yeah, no, not yet. Although they claim that they want to now. So we'll see what happens. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, they have two great role models with it. And, you know, I also want to point out that this podcast that we've had already, we've we've discussed your endeavors with Portia, but that's not even your real job. Huh. So what is my real job these days? <laughs> I have my hands in a lot of different things. I do spend the majority of my paid work is at my all girls Catholic high school. Mm -hmm. And I started teaching technology there when my oldest was in fourth grade. It's a six to 12 school. And 
you know, even when I, I was uh, I was in real technology, I worked for an international law firm right out of school. That was a very male dominated industry. So I have my whole life been in male dominated industries. Um, the technology piece really now is at, especially at a, at this high school does get some nice funding from donors. You know, what they're doing in the classroom now is unbelievable. They've got, they've got all kinds of different engineering, biomedical engineering. They've got astro, what did I substituted in some astrophysics, aeronautical engineering class. And I was like, oh my God, you girls are so lucky yeah. that this is what you're able to take. So is that the particular job that you were talking to? I feel yeah, like the teacher <laughs> part of it. Yeah. So I love being in front of the classroom and I wouldn't trade working in an all girl school sure. for everything. I love that. I'll throw in that I'm a race car driver and, you know, I tell them to look me up on YouTube when they get home and then the next day they'll come into the class. My dad and I watched it. That's so cool. I have had some of the, I brought my race car to the parking lot for one of the engineering classes that came out and kind of looked at my cage and my suspension. And we talked a lot about that. I am not an engineer. These girls came up with some really, really solid questions that their um, engineering teacher, who was an engineer for his real life and then did this when he retired, asked some really great detailed questions about the structural engineering and why these things are needed on a particular on race cars in particular. So that was a cool. I love it when my all of my hobbies collide with one another. Okay, so how how does the bird photography fit in there? <laughs> Oh my gosh! Did I write that in there? Oh, you're. Are you, I have it. I have it. You hunted me down. I live in a 1740s house that's surrounded by a 460 acre park. And um, when we moved to this house, and actually beforehand, I'm an out. I'm a nature girl. I've been hiking my whole life and had been hiking at this park forever. So when I actually moved into this in I'm enveloped by this beautiful landscape. I decided to start doing volunteer work for them. And I ended up being president of the park. We have a four-year term limit. I've been on the board for, I don't know, at least a decade. But I'd be walking through the park and I would see people bird watching. And, you know, as a representative of the park, you know, I really, I love talking to people. And so I would just start asking them questions and I haven't been doing it for that long, maybe 2018 and 2019 seriously, but then I got completely hooked and I, people make fun of me and I'm not at that, but there is a big confluence between being situationally aware on a racetrack in the race car. And it's all about vision and knowing what's going on around you, your peripherals. I swear to the heaven above that birding has really gotten my vision focus so sharp 
it's shocking to people. Well, we'll be walking around and I will see something so far away and so teeny and just that movement I can grasp with my eyes. All right. But now I'm getting embarrassed because, (laughs) you know, birding and racing, I feel like they go together, but I do have to justify myself a lot on that one. But it's all about vision. It really is. No, I enjoyed the parallels. I wanted to kind of also build off of uh, your work with female youth. And, you know, a lot of times in racing or in motorsports, we draw the parallels between STEM and STEAM education so that we can get, you know, these next generation of engineers or or teammates into the industry. And uh, when you look at girls that are entering into young adulthood, are there any kind of commonalities you're seeing these days or kind of hopes of what this next generation can anticipate? Oh, boy, that's a lovely question. I absolutely adore that. I'm going to start in the environmental side because I feel like these this generation is already so much more in tune with the environment and what we can do as a population to the health of our planet in particular. So again, another one of my like circles of life, I had the AP environmental science class this whole entire year is doing projects at the park, looking at stream water quality and invasive species. And so we were just written up in um, one of the local magazines. And I say we, I'm taking no credit for it, whatever, but by putting them together. But I'm out there with the girls too, because I just love seeing my my little worlds collide. I think in that realm, they're a hundred percent times better than we were when we were young. The the technology for them is so ingrained into their everyday lives, they don't see it as separate. You know, that was very separate when I was growing up. And when I was in college, I was, you know, no one had computers. And I remember there being one laser printer at my college that was in a glass area and they had one full-time person whose job it was just to hand you the papers that you printed. Like that you know, that doesn't exist. The technology for them is is innate. It's it's what they're a part of. So what I see them being able to do is being so confident in what technology, you know, be able to utilize this technology for whatever advancement, whatever advancements, whether it's AI or, you know, any that the whole astrophysics part of, you know, 15-year-old girls being involved in rocket science development. And then I, you watch, you know, you watch what Elon Musk is doing and, and SpaceX. Actually, I was just down there for birding. I was down in Texas and not very close to SpaceX. And when I was leaving, it was the airport that's closest to one of the SpaceX facilities. There were a bunch of college kids there that had done internships for their spring break. And I was completely eavesdropping. But I thought, God, how lucky these kids are to be able to be a part of space exploration because there was those decades where nothing was happening in our country or actually in the world with space exploration. I'm I'm on a big tangent right now, (laughs) but you know, what are the girls going to do? What are the kids going to do? I think that they're going to do all of these things that we've dreamed about. I, I, I can't wait for it. I can't wait for it. I can't wait to see what these uh, young adults are going to be doing in their lives in the next 15 years. Would you say young women feel different than the boys? A lot of the, women are more passionate 
I think that they have the passion and um, my particular school's logo is geez, motto, something about educating women to transform the world. So they're son sixth grade. They're taught how, how are you going to make the world better? Like, what are you going to do to make the world better? And so um, being able to give them these little snippets of experiences of making the world a better place, I think then it becomes part of who they are as a human and it makes them kinder and it makes them more aware of how their actions will interact with with those people around them and how their actions can can make the world a better place. I don't know. That's I don't, I'm not around a lot of the boys too often, so my experiences with it is with the girls, and that's where I see I see passion and and kindness and make making the world a better place. I do. No, I love it. I think that the you know we do this right as a a way to raise awareness of of women and and roles that are inspiring and and showcasing leadership like yourself. So I I just. You know, I, I think we're all a part of this wanting to hope that it trickles down to the next generation that are going to showcase the sacrifices. So it, it's nice to hear that uh, that that passion and uh, innate feeling of ability is there. Absolutely. And, you know, what you're doing is amazing, by the way. I'm, I know women in motorsports has been I'm not going to say on the on the back burner, but it's never really been brought to the forefront. And your podcast has inspired a group of women that I'm a part of now who now we've got leaders from the Audi Club and BMW and SSCA and NASA, another racing um, organization. So we, we now are on virtual calls talking about how we can encourage our respective clubs and environments to bring, you know, women to the forefront. But, you know, the bottom line is we're a demographic that hasn't been tapped. So if you're looking to, if you're just looking at the financial aspect of it, women buy cars, <laughs> women like to drive cars. So and we also let our husbands buy cars. <laughs> we, <laughs> we let our husbands buy cars as well. But from, you know, if you've got a driving program that isn't getting filled up, I mean, there are clubs that don't, that aren't selling out these events, then why are you not marketing to a demographic that hasn't really been tapped yet? And Porsche in specific, because, um, you know, that's what I'm familiar with. They, they are marketing to women buyers. I mean, we're, we've got a lot of income and um, we like to have fun too. (laughs) Well, thank you for the compliment. I know that we uh, definitely feel within our group that it is definitely a village. And the idea that this community kind of raises this within each other has been a wonderful thing to uh, share with with everyone. So Mia Walsh on the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. It is time for the hot lap, Mia. And, uh, <laughs> this is the one part you can prepare for. So uh, you're headed on a road trip. Where are you going? Oh, my next upcoming road trip is to Alberta, Canada. So I have not been there. There is a um, 
instructor, a new instructor training that I'm going to be leading along with one of my counterparts in at the Edmonton uh, racetrack. And so I am going to head out there next Thursday. I'm very much looking forward to being part of that beautiful country. And I've already received amazing hospitality from the Canadians there. So I'm very, very excited to be part of their new training program. All right. We're in Alberta. What are you driving? Oh, a, a, a rental car from National <laughs> or whatever, whoever throws me their keys when I'm at the racetrack. <laughs> your dream car on this road trip? Oh, well, you know, I'm a mountain girl, so I am extending the trip a little bit to see Banff National Park and Jasper National Park. So any four-wheel drive that I can get my hands on will is my dream car. On the racetrack, I'll be happy with anything. <laughs> if you're in the left seat, who are you taking along on the journey? I actually... I have a lot of friends who like saying yes when I say, hey, I have to go to X. Do you want to come? This week's winner is my 29-year-old nephew. Yeah, so he's going to be my hiking buddy, and um, I'm looking forward to having him along. (laughs) All right. On this road trip, what's on the radio? Well, I'm a fish head. I like fish. Uh, I love Chris Jacobs. I love some new bands coming out that are really great. I like Twiddle. I like Goose. Um, I'm an old girl deadhead from from, sure. from my young younger days. So that's what I'm going to listen to. We'll see what my my nephew's into EDM. So I think that I I will trump that battle and say your auntie's in charge. We're not going to be listening to all electric dance music, but he might get an hour in on the road trip. We'll see. I think you could convert him. <laughs> I see some parallels within those two, the EDM and fish people. And what, uh, what's the secret road snack that you like? You know, I'm not a big snacker, I have to say, but my, my worst thing that I like are Swedish fish. Oh, yeah. That's good. <laughs> well, Mia, thank you for joining us on the podcast. One last question for you. Let's say that there is a female that comes across this podcast and has the ability or the invite to go to a track day, what is your pitch to her? Oh, that's great. I would love to have her. I would say, call me and I will make sure that it happens because it is my goal to get as many women out there as possible. But I'm going to tell you, this day you will remember for the rest of your life and it will change the way that you look at getting behind the wheel of a car. My favorite compliment was a one a good friend who we took out to the track on one of these clinics he's got five kids and he said besides the birth of each of my five children and the marriage to my wife this was the best day I've ever had in my entire life <laughs> and these women uh, anybody honestly any man or woman that gets behind the wheel on one of these experiences really will be with the best day that you've ever had Mia Walsh on the Women Shift Gears podcast, driven by Hemmings. Thanks, Amanda. This Women Shifting Gears podcast, driven by Hemmings, is a production of GS Events.